going to finish Acts. Isn't that something to praise God about? We started this four years ago when we went through Luke. I don't know if you remember that. How many of us were here when we went through Luke chapter 1? Okay, five people. (laughs) For two years, we went through Luke. And then for another two years, until this point, we're going through Acts and we're finally going to finish it. And I thought we were going to finish right before Pastor Curtis would arrive so that it would be symbolic after Acts and Pastor Curtis comes and starts a new uh, theme. But unfortunately, we weren't able to fit that in, but uh, I am glad to say that we're actually finishing Acts right now, specifically Acts chapter 28, verses uh, 11 to 31. Now, I just want to show you a story. At the Youth Summer Missions Project this year, for those of you that don't know, every year we usually go to Arizona to one of the Apache reservations or one of the Navajo reservations. And we share the gospel there. And what we do is we go door to door on these reservations. And we just knock on doors and we either pray for them or we share the gospel with them. Or if they just want to talk, we just talk with them. Well, there was one time I went out with a team to this new area called Chinatown. And we went to this, this house that didn't have much shade around it. There was just maybe one or two trees with shade. And the place where we went up to next to the door didn't have that much shade. We knocked on the door, and then an old lady came out. And her eye was just all bandaged. I'm like, what, what happened? And we introduced ourselves. She wanted to know who we were. We wanted to pray for her. And so she accepted our prayer, and we prayed for her eye that her eye would be healed. Now, as we were talking to her, and as we were praying, her son, Steve, drove up uh, in, into their, their front yard and then walked in the house. And after we were done, we were, we were about to leave. We were standing and walking underneath that one tree that they had. And then Steve, the son, runs out. And when he runs out, he wanted to know who we were. I think he was impressed that we were praying for uh, his mom. And he wanted to know uh, more of what we were doing there. And so we conversed with them. And as we were talking, all of a sudden... One of the fellow missionaries that I was with, I was with three other student missionaries, uh, she slapped her knee and said, ouch. And then right after that, Steve slapped his knee and said, ouch too. And then we all looked down, and right where we were standing was a medium-sized swarm of these medium-sized red ants. And you can tell, even from where I'm standing, they're about this big and this fat, and they had like these little pincers that were, that were in front of their head, and they were walking up our legs all the way up to, to pretty much where our hips were, and we were all like, like wiping them off. And so what happened as a, just a real casual conversation became a, a dramatic uh, 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 throwing off all of the ants as we were standing and as we were step-hopping and getting to, to know each other. And all of us were step-hopping, and we didn't want to go outside of the shady area because it was about 90 degrees. So we just stood there and conversed with each other as we were step-hopping and wondering how are we going to share the gospel with Steve when we're filled with a swarm of ants and we're step-hopping. And so all of us were thinking, you know what, um, I think we should just go to the next house, be polite, 
and go to a house where there were less ants and not have to worry about it. You know, there's always more fish that we can catch and we'll just go to the next house. Well, I have a question to ask of you. Is personal inconvenience a good reason not to share the gospel? Is personal inconvenience a good reason not to share the gospel? So what me and my team did, was that okay? Was that the right thing to do? Was that justified in going to someone else's home and not talking to that person anymore? And have you ever wanted to encourage, pray for, or share the gospel with someone, but because it was not convenient, you did not? And was that okay or not? Well, the last part of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, verses 11 to 31, gives us this answer with several other insights. Let's go through Acts chapter 28, verses 11 to 31, as we conclude the book of Acts. <laughs> in verse 11, After three months, we put out to sea from Malta. Now, if you remember the message that Greg Hankey shared in the previous passage, they couldn't leave the island of Malta because they pretty much crash-landed with their, their boat on the island of Malta. The seas were too rough. It was not the season for them to be on a boat going places anyway. So they stayed for three months on the island of Malta, and Paul and his friends ministered there, and they gained quite a reputation from the leaders as well as the regular people, the natives, there. Now, after three months, they then finally put out to sea, and they started going to their final destination, Rome. And they went in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship, which you see sort of pictured on the left bottom here. That is a type of Alexandrian ship. But the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. And you have to give it to Luke to write these details there so that we can actually see uh, in our minds what is going on. And on the right is the twin gods, Castor and Pollux, which a lot of Romans would put in the head of their ship because Castor and Pollux were the patron deity uh, for the protection of sailors. So the Romans and the Greeks, they would pray to Pastor and Pollux whenever they were uh, sailing in the seas in order for protection. Verse 12. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Now, isn't this interesting? Because a lot of times when we think about Paul, we think that he is the pioneer missionary, the adventurer, the traveler who goes out and shares the gospel to places where no one has heard of it before. And yes, that happened many times on many occasions. But here he goes to Rome and he finds out that there are believers there already. And anyone who's read the Epistle to the Romans realizes this because the Epistle to the Romans was written three years before he landed on Rome to the Christians and to the church that was at Rome. But one wonders, you know, God is always at work. Even when before Paul got to Rome, someone else had already gotten to Rome to share the gospel there and planted a church there. It could be Apollos, one of the church leaders that, and missionaries that we read of before in Acts. Or it could be, if you remember, going all the way back to Acts chapter 2, verse 10, during Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon those believers in Christ, and they started talking about the gospel, 
And it says in chapter 2, verse 10, that visitors from Rome were able to hear what they were preaching before they went back to Rome. And perhaps it was because of that that they became believers and they started the church there. And Paul was now reconnecting with believers who had possibly believed in the Lord Jesus through the preaching of Peter back in Acts chapter 2. Verse 15, The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the form of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. That's pretty far. It's about 25 miles from Rome to the three taverns. And yes, for those of you that are beer drinkers, it's called the Three Taverns because that little city started with three different taverns. <clears throat> but 25 miles, that's about one, a whole day or two days travel by foot just to meet Paul. It shows the consideration, the joy, and the love that these Christians had for this person who wrote them that letter of Romans three years before. That they would not just wait in Rome, but they actually went out to show their hospitality walking one to two days to meet him at the three taverns. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Now, for those of you that are more visual learners, I have here a map. And you see Paul's journey to Rome, uh, which happened in 60 AD. And we started all the way back on your top right in Caesarea. And you see them meandering and sailing all the way to the right middle, which is Malta, which is where we started, they go to Syracuse, Regium, Puteoli, the three taverns, and then to Rome. So that's basically a visual, if you wondered, well, what are all these places, these cities? I've never heard of them before. Now you know where they are. Verse 16. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now remember, Paul isn't really a criminal yet. He's sort of a pseudo-criminal People don't know whether he's guilty or innocent. He appeals to Caesar so that he can proclaim his innocence. And so now he's under house arrest. So that's why he is allowed to live by himself. But he's not really treated as a true criminal, but they just don't know. So he's in sort of a holding pattern with a soldier to guard him. And what's interesting to note is that soldiers who would guard Paul in Caesar's palace, not the one in Vegas, but the one in Rome, uh, under Emperor Nero, were definitely of the Praetorian Guard. And the Praetorian Guard were the personal bodyguards of Caesar, his family, his relatives, and the people who worked in that palace. Which means that when Paul met with people and shared the gospel, these Praetorian Guards would hear of this message, and they would probably go around talking about what they heard whether they believe it or not, that's one another thing. But they would talk about what they heard in these meetings that Paul had with different people. And probably even with the Praetorian Guard, Paul was probably willing to share the gospel with them. And it'll, this will come into play later, as you will see. Verse 17. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. Amazing. He's under house arrest. Right? But this isn't surprising for those of us who have gone through Acts and have been very studious and observant of Acts. Because what does Paul do every time he goes to a city? He tries to find a Jewish synagogue. He goes into the synagogue on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and then he shares the gospel and tries to convince them, using the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, that Jesus <coughs> is the Messiah. And then, whether or not 
they agree or whether whether if if they agree, then great, then he continues to go and preach to them and then to the Gentiles. If they disagree and they want to kill him, then usually the church there and the Christians uh, encourage them to run away to another city where he does the same thing and it gets involved in the same uh, particular drama. And so this time, because he's under house arrest, he can't go to the synagogue. And so he invites the Jewish leaders and the Jewish church, the Jewish synagogue, to come to him. So three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. This is a few chapters back in Acts. They examined me and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Okay, that's found in Acts chapter 25, verses 11 to 12. Remember, because Paul was also a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to the emperor himself to have his case heard. And so he does that. <coughs> not that I have any charge to bring against my own people, for this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And so here's Paul. He's turning a lemon into lemonade. He's saying, the reason why I'm being persecuted here, it's okay. There's a reason. I'm glad that now I'm able to be finally in Rome. I always wanted to go to Rome to share the gospel with you, whether as a free man or in chains. And I'm doing it because of the hope of Israel. And what is the hope of Israel? It's that the Messiah would come back to restore the kingdom of Israel. And so he wants to talk to the Jewish people about that Jesus is this hope of Israel, is the Messiah. Verse 21, they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. Now that is a relief. Because if you remember... What happened when they were in Judea? I mean, these guys were fanatically wanting to kill Paul. They really didn't like him. Why did they want to kill him? Already because they were, Paul was turning a lot of people from Judaism to Christianity. But he said one thing that offended them. He said, you know what? You're not going to listen? That's okay, because God called me to preach the gospel, to preach about his kingdom also to the non-Jews to the Gentiles. And that infuriated um, them to go against Paul. And they, 40 of them were willing to not even eat until these 40 people personally saw Paul dead. So there were 40 assassins going after Paul. And so Paul, through various mysterious means, and we see the sovereignty of God in play here, um, escapes, and the Roman commander there also protects Paul and whisk him away because he appealed to Caesar on a boat in order to go to Rome. And the great thing is, they haven't received any letters from Judea concerning them, so he is safe. Probably because either the Jewish people there that wanted Paul killed uh, didn't know where Paul was going, or because uh, they didn't care anymore. As long as he's not here in Jerusalem, we're okay. And none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Verse 22, But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. See, back then, they thought that Christianity, and they thought rightly, was a Jewish 
effect. And they were talking against it. Now, this looks bad in the first, first eye when we read it. But you realize that this is a good thing because we're now in Rome, thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, and everyone, people everywhere are talking against this sect. People that are local to the city of Rome are hearing travelers from everywhere who are coming to Rome to do business or trade, friends or relatives, hearing about this thing called the way or Christianity and wondering whether it's really good or not. And fortunately, everyone is hearing about it, but unfortunately, uh, they're talking against the sect. So they really want to know from an expert, which Paul is, what is this, this Christianity all about? Verse 23, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Right? This is pretty cool. How long is from morning till evening? That's at least nine hours. And so for nine to twelve hours, he's conversing and doing evangelism and apologetics with these Jewish leaders and friends to try to convince them that Jesus is truly not just the Lord and Savior of the Gentiles, but the Lord and Savior of the Jewish people. Church, if you've ever tried to convince someone to become a Christian and have tried for hours and hours, the Bible understands. The people of the book understand. Paul understands. So you're in good company. Keep trying. Keep praying. Verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. Okay, so he's, Paul says something that's supposed to convince them a little further, but by doing this, he also annoys them even more for those who don't believe it. And he and what is it that annoys them? This statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said to Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And you can see the confidence that Paul has, because the last time Paul said this to a crowd of Jewish people, they wanted to murder him. And so for him to say this, it means that he must believe that there is a divine will here. He must believe that this is true, that he'd be willing to possibly suffer that again. And I'm thinking that he's probably thinking, you know, it can't get any worse because I'm in jail already, right? And I have a Roman guard here, so I can pretty much say whatever I want. I can just say the truth. And I know I have protection from Caesar's own household, Caesar's own praetorian guard. (coughs) Now, to understand how emotionally and negatively uh, impactful uh, to say that God has sent me to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. You have to understand that there's a gut reaction there. 
Um, it's almost like taking a knife and putting it into someone's heart and then turning it. Um, if you were a Jewish person, that to hear that God has sent someone to preach the good news to the Gentiles. I would say it's almost like if you were in World War II and you were in Germany and you were a Jewish person and you converted to Christianity, which was already a no-no, and then you told all your Jewish friends and your rabbi, hey, God has called me to share about Judaism and about Jesus to the Nazis. Like, there would literally be a, a riot. Like, what are you doing? No, do not do that. There are enemies, right? I mean, that is the gut reaction that the Jewish people back then had to hearing that God has sent someone to preach to the non-Jewish people. No way. There are enemies. They don't deserve that. And this is why in verse 29 it says, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. At least they didn't want to kill him. They just had a great dispute amongst themselves. Now, for some of you, some of your translations may not have verse 29 there. You'll read 28, and all of a sudden, there's a blank there in 29. And then it goes to verse 30, and you're like, what happened to my Bible? It, it forgot, it erased it, and it forgot to include that verse there. Well, the reason why some of your Bibles have a blank, it'll have it down in the footnotes, or some of your Bibles will have it in brackets, but some of your Bibles will have it italicized, is because the earliest manuscripts of Acts do not have that verse there. And so a lot of your Bible interpretations will interpret that as that probably wasn't found in the original manuscript, but was a gloss that they put in later. Right? Now you say, well, why don't they just erase verse 29 and revise it? Well, because it's very popular. It's a carryover from the King James Version. And so in order to satisfy everyone, they just put it there, and they just put brackets, or they footnote it, so you'll know it's there. Verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. Okay, so he's there for two years, you guys. And welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you, I want you to see the attitude that Paul has. Whenever he faces persecution in the past uh, <coughs> 19 chapters, he's never negative. He's always, well, he's not positive about it either. He doesn't want to die, although he's, he's willing to die for Christ. But he's not negative. He's like, well, if it happens, it happens. I'm, I'm still here to preach the gospel. And it's a great example for us to follow also. When we go through various suffering because we're Christians, people don't like us, or we get the shorter end of the stick, are we still able to praise God, or do we complain about it? Now, for some of us, when we read and finish Acts, because that was the last verse of Acts. We went through Acts, you guys. We, we finished it. Some of you will think, wow, that was abrupt. Are we missing, like, some verses in Acts? Because that's it? That's all? What, what, what happened to Peter? What happened to John? The, the other twelve apostles? Apollos? Priscilla and Aquila? What happened to them? But did, did Paul die? Was he exonerated? You know, what happened to his life? You know, there must, this, there must be more to this. Actually, not really. The abrupt ending is quite a natural phenomenon that we see in gospel narratives, and also in the narratives of uh, different works back then. Okay? 
Compared with the other narratives of the New Testament, like the Gospels, the abrupt ending is quite normal. So if you think it's an abrupt ending, compare it with Matthew, Mark, and John. <coughs> so Matthew's ending in chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Wait, but that's it, what happened? I mean, the Jews are still after them. You know, the, the Romans have sort of a wishy-washy attitude towards the Christians. What about them? You know, what, what happened, right? How about Mark's traditional ending? After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Okay, sounds pretty abrupt as well. John's ending. Now, John's, John's a little better because he does a trick at the end of his ending. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We, we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's, that's a great way to have an easy way out. Well, I could write a longer ending, but, you know, if I do, I'd have to write forever because there's no... There's not enough room in the world for me to share what Jesus actually did here, what Jesus did more than what I wrote here on this earth. And then compare that to Luke Acts ending that we just read in chapter 28 of Acts, verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when it comes to the abruptness, it's pretty normal that work of narrative writings back then ended abrupt, abruptly, especially if you just uh, analyze the New Testament uh, narrative writings. Also, Luke most likely intended to end Acts here because he wrote similar phrases in both the beginning and also the end of Acts, almost making it look like they're bookends. So Acts begins this way in chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, that's who Acts was actually written to, uh, this guy named Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up unto heaven. He, Jesus, appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And look, we see some parallels here at the closing verses of Acts. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that it wasn't an abrupt ending. It was intentional that that was actually the book ending for Acts that started in Acts chapter 1. And last, for those who wonder, is there like Acts part 2? No. There have been no further writings of Acts found, not even in the pseudepigraphal works, just the start of early uh, church Christian history. So whatever happened to Paul? Right? Some of us wonder, what happened to Paul? Well, there are two main probable views. Both of them are the same in that he shares the gospel to Caesar Nero, is proclaimed innocent, and is released from house arrest. And it is at this point that one of the views of Paul's differ in that Paul goes to Spain and possibly goes to Britannia, Britain, and after that, comes back after encouraging believers and evangelizing them to then continue his work in the Eastern Mediterranean. 
We see in Romans chapter 15, verse 23 to 24, Paul writing in 58 AD, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, he's talking about the Roman Christians, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have, this, to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, this is supported by one of the early church fathers, Clement of Rome, who was a bishop in Rome in 90 AD. Now, this is, this is very good because of the fact that it's 90 AD, which means that he, when he was a young person, may have personally known Paul, and definitely he knew people who personally knew Paul, and so we can rely on what he says. After preaching both in the East and West, he gained the illustrious reputation due to his faith having taught righteousness to the whole world and come to the extreme limit of the West, which back then was understood as Spain or Britannia, and, unfortunately, suffered martyrdom. Although I think Paul would see that as a good thing under the Roman prefects. Then coming back to visit churches in the Eastern Mediterranean, Paul writes more biblical letters such as First and Second Timothy, Titus, and maybe Hebrews. And unfortunately, he was caught and imprisoned in Rome a second time where he was executed in 67 A.D. You see, what was happening is, by that time, in 64 A.D., there was this great fire that burned all of Rome. And it was Emperor Nero's fault. But in order so that people wouldn't think it was his fault, he used the scapegoat. And the scapegoat he used were all the Christians. And as a, as a, for political reasons, he decided to blame all the Christians so that he can stay in power. And so, if he caught someone who was proselytizing, who was sharing the gospel, who was meeting uh, for the purpose of the faith, he would jail them, and oftentimes he would burn them and kill them. And so, unfortunately, Paul was caught during that time when Rome viewed Christianity very negatively. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6-8, and we see Paul sharing about this for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. If he's not saying, I'm going to drink some wine, and then I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. This phraseology means that he's being poured out as a sacrifice, as an offering. He's going to die, and the time has come for him to move on, pass on to the next life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And we have early church father evidence of this as well. Eusebius of Caesarea, a bishop of the 4th century A.D., says, And Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, brought his history to a close at this point after stating that Paul spent two whole years at Rome as a prisoner at large and preaching the word of God without restraint. Thus, after he had made his defense, it is said that the apostle was sent again upon the ministry of preaching and that upon coming to the same city, Rome, a second time, he suffered martyrdom. And here's a map of uh, what people think if he went to Spain and also Britain, what it would look like. Now, what can we learn from Acts chapter 28, verses 11 to 31? First of all, we learn from Paul's example that we should share the gospel and minister for Christ even when it, it is inconvenient. So even when it's inconvenient, we should do our best to share the gospel and minister for Christ. You see this in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 to 31. For two whole years, 
Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone could use the reason of inconvenience not to minister to others, not to share the gospel, not to encourage others in a Christian way, it would be Paul, who was under house arrest for two whole years. But he didn't. We don't see that at all. He was actually glad to welcome guests so that he can talk to them. Now, I didn't tell you what happened at the end of the YSMP ant persecution story, so I'll tell you what happened. We all thought of leaving, but in the end, we didn't because we had a job to do. And it was very inconvenient. I mean, when you're doing this all the time, and, yeah, how long have you been here living on the reservation? Oh, okay, that's great. I mean, it looks really stupid and awkward. And we weren't the only ones that were doing that. He, he's a local. He's used to this. He was doing this, too. And we didn't want to go somewhere else because that was the only place in his house that had shade. And so we kept doing this. And then what I did was I just I took out a four spiritual laws because we were using the four spiritual laws to share the gospel. And I said, here, have one of these. Would you like to go over this thing called the four spiritual laws? This is about Jesus. And he said, yes, I would. And we were just doing this the whole time, going through law one. God loves you and offers you the wonderful plan for your life. Could you read this verse? Uh, yeah. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we went through the whole entire four spiritual laws looking like idiots. I'm sure people who, who passed by in their cars were wondering, what in the world is going on? You have these four chilamones hanging out with our friend Steve, and they're dancing as they're reading some kind of booklet. Like, what's, what's going on? Well, what was the result? When it came time for him to believe and pray and accept Christ as his Lord and Savior, he did. And he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And we praise God for that. And if we didn't go through that inconvenience and push through to share the gospel, he wouldn't have accepted Christ at that time, at least. And so we are very glad that we pushed through, even though it was inconvenient, to share the gospel with them. And in your lives, you may have times where it's inconvenient to share the gospel. Push through it. Share the gospel. Allow it to be awkward. It's okay, because you're not doing it for your own convenience. You're doing it for the glory of God in order to try to save people so that they can enter into the kingdom. The second thing we learn from Acts chapter 28, verses 30 to 31, or Acts chapter 28, verse 13 to 31, is this. We can use our free time to do good deeds for Christ rather than be lazy. So rather than be lazy, we can use our free time to minister for Christ. We see this in those same verses. Paul did not allow himself to become discouraged and complacent, even though he was caged for years. Now, this must have been really hard for the Apostle Paul, because he's now, he was already feeling caged for that long trip that probably took almost a year from Caesarea on a boat all the way to Rome. And now, he's still caged inside house arrest, whereas before, for the past 30 or so years, he was walking around evangelizing and had the freedom to go wherever he wanted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he's caged in house arrest for a few years. But he didn't allow that to discourage him. We see him doing all of these things. While he was in a prisoner, he invited local Jewish leaders over to share the gospels. He discipled Christians who would come and visit. And surely, he most likely discipled 
these Christians who brought people who were friends and relatives to want to hear more about Jesus Christ. He discipled them. He shared the gospel with them. Also, and very importantly, biblical scholars believe that these two years in confinement were when Paul wrote the letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So, if you like Ephesians, if you like reading Philippians, Colossians, or Philemon, you know why? It's because Paul was in prison that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these books. And we see that he even was able to win many of Emperor Nero's relatives, friends, and soldiers with the gospel of Christ during his jail time as he writes to the Philippian Christians. Remember the Praetorian Guard? They would always have shifts. And every time they would have shifts, he would share the gospel with them. And we know that he was successful. Why? Because Philippians 4.22 says this. This is Paul writing from Rome to the Philippians, and he writes, All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So he appealed to Caesar in order to go to Rome to share the gospel with the Roman Jews that were there, and he had a side benefit. He was able to share the gospel with Caesar and his household, and many of his household, the workers at his palace, relatives of Caesar, uh, palace guards, actually became saints. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. For those of you who are in between jobs, staying at home, mom or dad, unmarried, okay, I want to I make that clear, unmarried, those of you that have more time, because you don't have to worry about husband or wife or kids, retired, or have, for some reason, a lot of downtime, this is the perfect time for you to disciple someone, to evangelize someone, to minister to someone, or grow in discipleship yourself. If you have a lot of free time and you don't know what to do with it, come and talk to me or come and talk to Pastor Curtis and we will have so many things for you to do. From mundane things such as cleaning our office to major things such as there's someone who might be dying of a certain illness, can you go over to the hospital and pray with them? Because I have all these other people that I need to go to to pray for them too. Or, here's a really great book that you can read and we'll read it together and then we'll grow in Christ together. Okay, there's something that you can do instead of just being lazy and complacent. Use that time for the glory of God in order to do ministry. Don't waste your free time. Be doing something for Christ in order to grow in Christ or to grow in Christ. Now, congratulations on finishing Luke Acts. Acts ended in chapter 28. Yes? We're done. We're done. We continue it and are in the Acts 29 church. All right, sometimes I like to uh, tell the youth to turn their Bibles to Acts 29. And they go there and they go, there is no Acts 29. I said, there is. It's you. Ha <laughs> ha. And they go, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, but it's true. It's not whatever. It's true. We are the Acts 29 church. We are continuing the work of the gospel ministry that Jesus started and the Holy Spirit inspired and filled the early apostles and the believers to do it. We are, even though generations separated, disciples 
of all of those people, of the apostles, continuing that ministry to the ends of the earth until Jesus returns. Acts 1.8 is our call. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When you become a Christian, that's what happens. You receive power from the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Matthew 24.14 says this about Christ's return. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let's continue the gospel ministry to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because the more we do it, we quicken and we hasten the return of Jesus Christ to make all things new and to make this world a better place. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be complacent. The free time that we have, help us not just to use it for entertainment, but to use it to know more about you and to minister to people who are in need. Just like Paul did, who was in prison. But he wrote four of the most glorious letters of the New Testament. And he used it to help people to come to know Christ. Even the, pe- the person, the guard, that had chained him. And Lord, we are people who are busy and distracted. And we often find it inconvenient to share the gospel. There doesn't seem a time where it is convenient to share the gospel. But help us to remember the example of Paul who, even though he was under arrest and immobile inside a small little room, he was able to share the gospel and to bring people to Christ. So help us, Lord, even in our inconvenience, to push through that and to do our best to bring people to Christ. And I pray, Lord, that it will be your Holy Spirit that will empower us and cause us to overcome any of our fleshly distractions to do your will in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.